Amen, amen indeed. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. As we begin, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're going to begin right away with some scripture here and see where God's going to lead us this morning. Again, I know, because I wrote this thing. But uh, we're going to see what God has for us in John chapter 2 this morning as we explore the gospel. John chapter 2. A couple of big stories in here. We're just going to read the first one first here. We're going to walk through both of them, though, this morning here. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The gospel is the glory of Jesus revealed to us. The power of God proclaimed to us. The care of God extended to us. It is transformation. It is relationship, it is grace, and it is present even in the simplest parts of our lives. This morning, again, we're going to be continuing our new series, The Gospel, trying to understand what it is, what it does, what it means, how it changes us, and how it can change the world, how we should speak about it. And how we should live it. We're looking at the gospel of John in this series. Looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. The things that he said and did that reveal to us what the gospel is. What the kingdom is. How Jesus saw and understood his mission and his purpose. Our purpose. And as we talk about. God being the same yesterday, today, and forever this year. We started last week in John chapter 1 and that amazing opening of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We talked about the power and the presence of Jesus. That He is eternal. 
That idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever is embodied in the person of Jesus. Through time, through creation, through the incarnation, Jesus is the same. His love, His grace, His truth, faithfulness, justice is the same. Always. And it sets up such a profound depth and power for what the gospel will be revealed to be. So we're walking through the gospel of John, but we're really not going to be able to cover everything in here, of course. And I want to encourage you to dig in yourself, to spend some time in the gospel of John yourself, and to really think and pray through what God is revealing to us, to you, about the gospel in these pages. I mean, the rest of chapter 1 alone covers so much. The stories of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come, of some of Jesus' disciples, or John's disciples turning to begin following Jesus, instead hearing John's words and being immediately convinced in their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah. What did they see? What did they hear? What did they sense? What was the power of Jesus' presence to convince them so readily. Peter's brother, Andrew, was one of these men, and he goes right away and finds Peter and just declares, we have found the Messiah. How many siblings would trust each other with something like that? Get out of here, Andrew. The Messiah here? After all these years, and you found him. But Peter trusts him. He follows him and he meets Jesus and his life is transformed. Jesus goes on to gather other disciples, Philip and Nathaniel, and he has this amazing interaction with Nathaniel. Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you, and right there, That is enough for Nathaniel. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says to him, you believe because I said I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does that mean? What did Nathanael experience? He wasn't one of the ones who was on the mountain of transfiguration, that incredible story where Jesus was up there with Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured, transformed into this heavenly experience. Nathanael wasn't there for that. So what is Jesus talking about here? Did Nathanael have some kind of a dream Was he going to have some kind of revelation like Jacob did in the Old Testament with this staircase to heaven and angels ascending and descending? Nathaniel was going to have some kind of profound understanding, experience of the presence of God here on earth, and Jesus would reveal that to him. And that's all just chapter 1. The gospel is huge. 
There's so much there. And as we come to chapter 2, we begin to see Jesus revealing Himself to reveal to us who and what He is and what God is doing. And there's two major stories in this chapter. Like I said, there's the story of the wedding at Cana where Jesus performs this miracle of water into wine. And then there's this story of Jesus cleansing the temple courts from the merchants that were doing business in His Father's house. And it's interesting that John records these stories right next to each other because it shows us something about how Jesus sees the world. Sees life. Sees reality differently from how we do. How he sees the presence of God in the world in ways that we don't. But we start with the story at the wedding. Jesus and his family and his disciples have been inviting to this wedding. Weddings at the time would go on for several days, sometimes a whole week. And the host would provide a huge feast and drinks and a party that whole time. It was a massive undertaking, a huge effort and expense. It was an event for the whole community. And in a humiliating moment... They run out of wine. A disaster, deeply embarrassing for the host and for the bride and the groom. Jesus' mother comes to him, and I just love the way this is played out here. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So matter of fact, just simple, so straightforward, and yet so full of expectation. They have no more wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Now the notes in my Bible at the bottom there just said that way he says woman is not meant to be like disrespectful or dismissive. It's apparently a term of endearment in that culture and that's fine, so that's okay. But woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And I don't know if his mother just didn't hear him or whatever, but she just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Jesus, you're going to do something about this. And he sends the servants to draw water and fill these jars. And it turns into wine and it's amazing wine and everyone's amazed and it's a great story, but... There's just a thousand details here. How did Mary know that Jesus was going to do something? That Jesus could do something? John tells us here that this is the first miracle that Jesus performed to reveal who he was. Jesus wasn't magic. So growing up, he wasn't like shooting fireballs and silly things like that. This is the first time that People had seen something like this. And so Mary had her experience with the angel, certainly, when he came to announce this pregnancy. And then she had this experience with Jesus at the temple when he was a boy, when he was sitting with the religious leaders and he was teaching them. And they were all very impressed with his wisdom and understanding. But what else had she seen? How did she know he could do something like this? Why did she think he could do something about this? 
Being a brilliant teacher at a young age and knowing the Scripture in ways that amaze the leaders means he can do something like this? Why did she think he could do something? And why did the servants listen? Who is this guy? Mary says, do whatever he says, and he tells them to go fill some jars with water. And they do. And then, take some water to the master of the banquet. They go up there with water, and they're going to get a beating. The master is already embarrassed, angry, upset. And they're supposed to take him water? And they did it. Why? What was happening? What were they sensing? What were they experiencing in the presence of Jesus that made them do that? There was something about the presence of Jesus that made people behave differently. There was something about what he said and did, how he was, that made people notice. power of God was there. The presence of God was there. I mean, the presence of God is everywhere all the time, and Jesus was in tune with it, and he made people aware of it. God's presence was with these people at this wedding, this very normal, very human moment, and in an act of Incredible grace, incredible mercy responding to this incredibly human moment of embarrassment and hurt and need. Jesus brings the presence of God into that place, bringing hope and life and joy and peace, community and relationship and celebration. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. Restoration, life. And in this simple and yet profoundly spiritual way, Jesus restores life here. Among these people, in this community, at this wedding, Jesus reveals the presence of God to them. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And that's something we don't really notice all the time, who Jesus is traveling with. It's just Jesus and the 12 to us all the time. It's kind of what we picture, Jesus walking with his 12 disciples. But his family came with him here. They were, and there were other women who were following him at different times, supporting him financially. There were these crowds that followed him, Pharisees and scribes and spies who followed him around. Jesus' journey was filled with people, people he loves, people he cares about, people he sees for what he wishes they could be, what he created them to be. And they all want something from him, different things, the wrong things. And he wishes they could see what he sees. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people 
selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. It's a very normal scene. This is what happened every single day. He sees this, and he doesn't see what everybody else sees. He doesn't see normal. It's just business. It's even a service. These people, you think about it, they didn't have to haul their own animals in all the way through the city from their homes or wherever. It's convenient. It's cleaner. It's easier. What's the problem? But Jesus doesn't see that. Jesus sees the presence of God buried under greed and selfishness. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts. Can you imagine that scene, the commotion? It's the Passover, the biggest festival of the year. The temple, the whole city is packed with people all trying to get their thing done, to perform their rituals, to make their sacrifices. And this man just comes out of nowhere, flailing this whip around. And it's not some self-righteous zealot, some crazy person just making a scene. It's Jesus looking at the exact same thing everyone else was looking at every day forever. This was normal. And seeing something completely different, seeing his father's house, the most precious place on earth, a place of connection, a place of relationship, of deepest love and presence, the place where people were supposed to connect to the divine, to their creator. And it's been commercialized and sold poisoned and corrupted and he is broken. He drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Tables flipped over, money spilling everywhere, animals stampeding all over the place, people screaming and yelling and running. It's pandemonium. And eventually, it stops. And things settle down. And in the middle of this cloud of dust, now hanging over this empty courtyard. There stands Jesus, whip hanging on the ground. His chest is heaving as he breathes, exhausted, furious, grief-stricken. It's silent. The crowd is all looking at him, surrounding him, completely baffled at what they just saw. And the leaders yell out at him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? What kind of a question is that? It reveals something to us. They knew they were wrong. They knew they had been poisoning the temple of God. 
They didn't fight back. They didn't argue. They didn't try to arrest him right then and there. He should have been tackled by the guards right off the bat. But they knew they were wrong. What they were doing was wrong. And instead of arresting him, they said, who do you think you are? And Jesus again looks right through them. Like he did with his mother at the wedding saying, my time has not yet come. She didn't know what she was asking. And here, once again, he looks right through everyone and sees something no one else sees. Sees the presence of God in a way no one else does. The spiritual reality that surrounds all of them. And to the strange question, he has an even stranger response. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What? What does that even mean? What are you talking about? We asked you what sign you can show us and this is what you say. Who do you think you are? It took 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about? It doesn't even make any sense. And they missed it. They had a chance to see, to know, to touch the very power and presence of God, and they missed it. They weren't looking. They didn't want to look. But Jesus offered them the opportunity to connect with God himself in that moment. To repent and be drawn back into relationship. And they missed it. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. It's the presence of God made real in the world and in our lives to reconnect us with our Creator. An opportunity to connect with the divine, the sacred, the very presence of God. To be restored and made whole, saved. And that is what Jesus called people to. What he tried to reveal to them, to show them the presence of God that was right there with them. And in that temple, the very place God had given to mankind to worship him, to connect with him, to experience relationship with him and find forgiveness and peace and life, Jesus invited them to see, to see what they were missing, to see what they had buried under greed and selfishness and money and power and control. And they missed it. Was Jesus just... Destroying things in those temple courts? Angrily lashing out against the man? He was trying to help them. To save them. Looking right into the hearts of these people he created. That he loved more than anything and trying to get out of the way the things they had put there that separated them from the presence of God. Jesus saw something we don't. He sees the world in ways that we don't. 
He saw the spiritual reality that we inhabit, that we were created to experience, and He wants to reconnect us to that place. We are spiritual, physical beings. And our world is a spiritual place, and the people in our lives are more than we can understand. Jesus didn't turn water into wine to make a wedding nice. He revealed the power and presence of God to those people. The truth and reality that God was there with them in that moment, in that place. That His presence was so real and deeply present with them. And he didn't just freak out on some bad people in the temple. He saw broken and hurting people who had put all these barriers in the way between them and their father, their creator, that they had covered over the very presence of God, buried it under greed and selfishness and fear, and he was broken. Angry at the sin that separated them, grieving the loss of relationship that they were created to enjoy. It's profound. Our world is a spiritual place, a profound place, and we are invited to see that. The gospel is being conscious of the presence of God, how we were made to connect with Him and working to help others see that. Help them to experience that. To share His presence with them. We have that chance, that opportunity. To be that connecting point for people. To remind them of something they should already know. Something they might not notice. Something they might have buried under sin and hurt and fear. That God is here. With us. Among us right now. If we'll open our eyes, if we'll walk in faith, if we'll let Him tear down the walls that have separated us from Him and let Him be with us. As people of the gospel, saved by the gospel, we have the chance, the responsibility to help people connect with that. To reconnect to that. To reveal God's presence in the world and in the lives of the people around us. God is already here. All around us. All around them. Present everywhere in our world all the time. We just need someone to help us see. What are you helping people to see? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories that remind us of who and what you are. We thank you for the life and the example of Jesus and what he did. The things he said, where he walked, the people he walked with. And God, as he was trying to open their eyes, use us, God, to open the eyes of others. We want to be people of the gospel, people that live this truth out, your spirit, 
people bringing hope and life, people helping people to see how you are present in their lives, your love and grace and mercy and hope that is all around us all the time. Father God, we ask that you would use us, show us, reveal to us who you are more and more, that we can share that with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.